house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Deal. What deal? Lorraine left the three of us the house. She did what? Hey, y'all, uh, this is Percy. Come see what Percy did. See what she didn't do. Leave. She ain't gonna leave. Whether you like it or not, I am the senior male in this house, and you will respect me. Sorry. Sorry. I keep forgetting there's a woman in the house. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that gives listeners free disposable cameras on their birthday before getting fired for it. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Joe Reed. Hello. Joseph, I cut us off in our like pre-talk before this episode. Rather, you rushed us onto air. You literally threw us into a studio and were like, "Get on mic now." We were talking simultaneously about two different movies, one of which we'll be covering soon. And of course, yeah, we can't talk as, about that one. as we're prone to do. The Cell, and I said, "Well, it's a musical," and you were confused for a second because you're like, "The Cell." And then we got into this whole fan casting trap of what would a cell musical be like. I have to I have to pose this question to you. Who does the score to the cell the musical? Oh golly. I'm bad with musical theater fantasy casting, but like I mean, we don't have could to necessarily you do it like you did the, the show, but like Could the you score. do it the way the, the SpongeBob musical did where it's like a different artist for each song and that would contribute to like the madness inside Vincent D'Onofrio's head? I mean, maybe. Well, you have something in mind, though. I mean, I, my jump reaction was like Mitski, but like you don't go for Mitski. The way <laughs> Your jump I reaction to everything is Mitski. Yep, I'm like... Um, no, that probably that sounds pretty cool. That sounds. I'm trying to think of like, is this where like Trent Reznor makes the jump to Broadway from film? I don't know what a Trent Reznor these days. I don't either. Melody would sound like. I don't either. I'm excited and scared, which is what one should be for the cell. Right. I'm excited to go and pay four hundred dollars to see the cell, the musical on Broadway, and in the middle of the show, these swaths of fabric envelop the theater. Yes. That, well, it, it'll be like um, when we saw Natasha Pierre in The Great Comet of 1812. Oh, my God. Where, like, the entire theater is the stage, and all of a sudden, without you even realizing it, the, like, tapestry from the back of the room just sort of, like, snaps open, and it all, like, unfurls uh, uh, onto the stage. Absolutely. And it's frightening and, and wonderful. Um, I was going to ask if there would be a splash zone for gore. But, like, I guess if the whole theater is the stage, the entire theater is the splash zone. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. 
And at some point, very much like the chandelier in Phantom of the Opera, um, the Vincent D'Onofrio character gets descended from the ceiling on hooks, ever yes. so, ever so slowly on hooks, much like the chandelier from Phantom eases down onto the stage like you would into a warm bath. Mm-hmm. That, that I want to happen. I want that spectacle. So the cell, the musical. What do you think? We can coming in twenty twenty two. Listen, if Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark can have some Cirque du Soleil shit on Broadway, granted it obviously failed, then I think The Cell can as well. All right. Is Sutton Foster the wrong choice for the Jennifer Lopez role? Absolutely. Who's the right choice? I mean, you brought... Well, no, because you have to have that sentimental thing like where Julie Andrews shows up to Mary Poppins the musical and takes a picture with the, like, actress playing. Yeah, good call. Okay. I mean, you brought up Natasha Pierre in The Great Comet of 1812. I would love to see Danae Benton in something else again. That's her name, right? That's true. That's a good one. God, you're so much more better at this than I am. More better. God. Cancel me. For your grammar. I wanted to cast a white lady in the Jennifer Lopez role in The Cell. I am fully canceled. Um, Yeah, The Cell, the musical, coming to um, Broadway, Twenty Theater. Yes, exactly. It's kicking Dear Evan Hansen out of the music box theater. Sorry, Dear Evan Hansen. Sorry to this man. This man (laughs) being Dear Evan Hansen. The Cell, unfortunately, is not the movie we are talking about this week. Why isn't but it? it, it w- be, this movie but still not. is an elaborate torture device that may or may not <laughs> exist in reality. I'm going to say I'm predicting uh, that I liked this movie a decent bit better than you. Which is not to say that I liked this movie. But it sounds like you super hated this movie. Okay, so every once in a while, I'll be watching a movie, and then I have to tweet out the gif of Danny Torrance, like, staring at the twins, like, what the fuck horror (laughs) show am I watching? This is probably about to kill me. I just did it for Breakthrough. And, like... Oh, you watched Breakthrough. (gasps) Talk about a piece of shit. Um, I'm going to have to watch that, of course, because I've got to watch all the Oscar nominees, and I've been sort of dragging my feet this week. You may need to have a whole Clockwork Orange situation where it's like prying your eyes open. Um, Right. The things we do for Diane Warren. Um, No, we're here to talk... I truly hope she appreciates it. (laughs) We're here to talk about a love song for Bobby Long. We are. Which... The movie that we've never stopped thinking about since 2004, clearly. I mean, it's always been on our mind. Very much a punchline in its title alone. Yes. For it's ha- one of those movies that is only remembered because, A, it had a Golden Globe nomination that sort of stands out from the crowd now, and B, the title is just weird enough that you're just like, what was that movie? Well, they couldn't with come up with another it? title for a love song for Bobby Long because in terms of titles... It's been said and done. Every beautiful thought's been already sung. What are you singing to me? <laughs> I love you like a love song. <laughs> I don't know songs. I know that is a song, but honestly, Ariana Grande? Like, I don't uh, know. Who that is. Selena Gomez. See, your, you. your, like, young woman teen bop, like, ear blindness is the same to me with like the white young 20 twinks musical ear blindness charlie puth sean mendez i don't know who you people are 
I mean, I probably wouldn't by ear. Actually, that's not true. I, I know probably my face three Shawn either. Mendes like oh, they're indistinguishable. But they're such such faces, mm. such faces on those boys. Okay. Charlie Puth has that stupid little shaved eyebrow thing happening. Don't know. Have no idea. Did not know that. All right. Fine. <laughs> Fine, Chris. You I have bet... your Selena Gomez song, and I'll have my beautiful Charlie Puth face, and we will be fine. Do we think that Scarlett Johansson's Bobby Long dead mother in this movie would know the difference between Selena Gomez and Charlie Puth? No. Who's... No, no, no. Scarlett Johansson's mother in this movie, I don't know if you've ever seen this episode of The Simpsons. I think it's the one where Lisa thinks she's going to eventually become stupid, like her dad, and and because of um, The Simpsons are genetically predisposed to, like, being dum-dums. And she goes to a, like, open mic night, or like a, whatever, singer-songwriter performing at this sort of little club and she goes to talk to her afterwards because she's like intellectually whatever like um enthused by this woman and set. oh thanks but the crowd kept looking at me like i was using too many augmented nines uh they just came for the buffalo wings but you really got through to me oh good i figure if you've got something special to say you have to share it with the world yeah why you still can thanks Damn, that felt like a sale. That is the kind of person I feel like, in her best version, is Scarlett Johansson's mother in this episode or in this ep- in this movie, um, where she's just like selling CDs out of the back of her hatchback or whatever, and you know buying drinks for people at the bar so that they'll you know respond to her better on the stage and. I don't know. I think a lot of I don't I'm not going to say that Scarlett Johansson was like worthy of a Golden Globe nomination, which first of all, worthy of a Golden Globe nomination. Are there ever is there has there ever been a funnier phrase in all of human history? Like I always think it's kind of funny and we all do it when we when the Golden Globe nominations come out and everybody gets to arguing and they're just like I just don't think this was worthy. I'm like worthy of a nomination from the Golden Globes. Like I don't think that's a thing. Right. Like it's it's weird that like they didn't nominate somebody who would have been, you know, more interesting or a better um prospect in the award scene or something like that. But like that's why I especially think it's so funny when anybody gets mad about who does or doesn't get nominated for the Golden Globes TV awards because they don't mean anything. Yeah. Like they don't even have an Oscars to point to. They're just like fully, you know, it's cool an to exhibition win, match. Like the whole you wrote about this, the Ingenue Golden Globe winners, which congratulations to this year's Golden Globe Ingenue winner, Rami Youssef. I love him. Yes, even though I was one billion percent sure that was going to be Ben Platt, and like, color me pleasantly surprised that it wasn't. Rami's a great but, show. But like, I thought, oh, Rami's a great show. It's a better show than The Politician. But like, I would have thought for sure that like, the Hollywood Foreign Press would have been falling all over themselves to like, to be the first, to be the first non like Tony Awards, whatever, like mm-hmm. the first Screen Awards body to give an award to Ben Platt because you know what's coming. You know that like. At some point, he's going to end up getting, you know, film and television awards, if only because, like, you know, family connections and shit. I can see how Rami Youssef 
won though a it's a great show and he's great on it and it's like yeah he won for performance but it's like it's his show yeah, um, he won because he has a but cool like, show. Yeah, the Globes are susceptible to like junkets and meeting people face to face, and yeah. I am willing to bet that like he is the absolute most charming man in that entire room that the Globes telecast had. Yeah, here's we the- talk about this because Scarlett Johansson got a somewhat surprising Best Actress in a Drama nomination for this movie in 2004, and I think this illustrates what people actually get angry about aside from like their favorite person doesn't get in and like you know if you feel like they're blocking that spot what it is is an adjacency thing because what makes this nomination for scarlett johansson for a love song for bobby long so funny to me aside from the movie just absolutely not existing on the face of the earth even in 2004 but when you look at who she is nominated against, it's just like, look at this wait. vast canyon <laughs> between can, these performances. Wait, can I can I try and remember? Yes. 2004 drama actress. So that was Swank in, um, in Million Dollar Baby. Yes, she won. Annette Bening was in comedy. Imelda Staunton and Vera Drake, was she nominated? Correct. Okay. Winslet's in comedy. Um, was this like Kate Blanchett for Veronica Guerin? It was not. Okay. This is the um, the Aviator year, so Kate Blanchett's in supporting. Right. I thought also that this was this might have been a, an also Veronica Guerin year, but maybe not. Um, all right. You're talking two major actresses. Okay. So Catalina Sandino Moreno was not the Globe nominee. No, very strangely, not there. Though, I mean, like, that movie... Not that strangely. The Hollywood Foreign Press does not go for non-English language movies the way people always assume that they will because there's foreign in their name. And by the time the Globe's Um, nominations happen, Maria Full of Grace did not have the, like, gas in the engine that it would eventually have. Maria Full of Grace is a fucking phenomenal movie. I should mention that. I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater, but I loved it when I saw it. It's great. Joshua Marston is great. I want him to get the reins on a really major project Mm -hmm. at some point, because I think he's wonderful. Okay, I'm stalling. Should I give you Um, hints for these two actresses? Yeah. Okay, one is an actress who was nominated the previous year for the same role. Oh, Uma. Uma for Kill Bill Volume 2. Um, right. The other actress is a Globe's favorite. I think this is her best performance. I don't think this got anywhere past the Globes. All right. A Globe's favorite. Globe's favorites include Glenn Close, Meryl Streep, Helen Mirren, uh... Very controversial movie, though I feel like the things that upset people about this movie at the time, nobody is really upset by them now. Um, Because I think we can... Kidman? Yes. Birth? For birth. Birth. Yes. Incredible. Yeah, this this is the thing. People rag on the Golden Globes for being, like, cheap and, like, chintzy and whatever. And they're the ones that nominated Nicole Kidman for birth, all y'all's favorite little artsy-fartsy Nicole Kidman movie. You like, not the Oscars. shut your mouth, sir. That movie's great. <laughs> um, we will fight about this. But here's the thing. In regards to the point you're making, yeah. 
Did that What's nomination have more to do with the fact that she is Nicole Kidman, or did it have anything to do with more... that movie and performance? Right. No, it had to do with it being Nicole of Kidman. Of course it did. But I'll take it. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, of course it had more to do they with her They might accidentally power, but... make these cool picks like this. I don't know if it's... Well, it's not necessarily accidentally, but what I will say is they don't seem to have the same blinders or the same... Um, gatekeeper instincts as Oscar voters where Oscar voters might yeah. look at that and just be like that's that's not our thing you know what I mean that's yeah it's I'm not too gonna, weird it's too sexual right I'm not gonna watch that I'm gonna watch something safer and more up our alley although honestly the 2004 best actress field is a really strong field for as much as I might like quibble with Swank winning a second one or you know Annette Benning in, in Being Julia is like that's a we love you, Annette Benning nomination more so than we love you. Yeah, I don't love that movie or but that like, performance. Amelda Staunton, Kate Winslet, Catalina Sandina Moreno are like gold star nominations, mm-hmm. all three of them. They're so good. Anyway, what movie are we talking about? We're talking Chris? about a love song for Bobby Long. Uh, I will get yeah. back into the Globes because, like, I think we should talk about what other rationally could have taken this spot. And I have one example yep. that I want to step on a soapbox about. But we'll get oh, back okay. into it. Shit. A love song for Bobby Long. Also, we should note from the top was a qualifying release that it was like we knew this movie is coming. We know it's coming. We know it's coming. And then because it didn't get It was on... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's like this one of those things that's lurking towards the end of the year. And this is, of course, the big year for, like, all of the sudden, after 02, when everything's in December, you have Clint Eastwood, like, arriving in December and taking the whole race away with it. could not have played that season better and i don't even know if it was on purpose more so than just like well that's when he finished the movie um but like million dollar baby was to do so last minute aviator was like not like marching towards the oscar because honestly i liked the aviator a lot but like it's not like the aviator was like sweeping the nation with its you know story or mm-hmm. whatever and but it was probably going to win because a lot of the, the we story knew about was this movie a year won. in advance. It was always coming in December, so it's like right. it loses some of its steam when it finally opens because Million Dollar Baby is the sudden story all of the time. It's crazy how much all of a sudden people were like, a Clint Eastwood movie. And then initially people were like, I mean, like, yeah, a Clint Eastwood movie, but like, He's already won an Oscar. They wouldn't give him a second one before they gave Scorsese his first one. Oh, oh, bitch. Y'all were wrong. <laughs> I think it's also the other. Like, the crazier thing for me about A Love Song for Bobby Long is that it played at Venice. It played like, in the sidebar, the horizon section. Still. But still, still. Yeah, like you watch this movie and it's like, I don't want to shit too much on this very bad movie because it's it's a female director who never got to direct a movie again. No, she did not. And, like, this movie has, like, drifted off into the vessels of space and has no cultural footprint beyond this nope. nomination for Scarlett Johansson. 
Right, right. It's as a as an award season footnote. But yes, like the type of thing where it plays Venice even in a sidebar or like sometimes movies play out of competition too. Like it launches yeah. you into a season and then you have the like qualifying release. This opened limited on December 29th of 2004. Yep. That tells you what the intention is at least behind in promoting this movie. And there's it's a very specific because... reason why I think this dropped off for a priority for Lionsgate, Lionsgate at the time. The fact that it's Lionsgate is also funny to me because this that pattern for that movie where it like it plays at a film festival sort of quality be damned, it holds on to a late 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 in the year awards season perch and is sort of on every write-up about who's going to be a contender for Best Actress and sometimes Best Actor. Like, people were talking about John Travolta for Best Actor before anybody saw this movie. And then, you know, but it stays on predictions all year because it's, like, one of the last ones out of the gate. That behavior, to me, feels so much more Miramax, Weinstein Company, Mm -hmm. Focus, uh, Fox Searchlight. Like, it's weird that Lionsgate... They were was still just getting that started. Off back then. What's the first Lionsgate movie you remember as being like a Lionsgate movie? Uh, Monsters Ball. Oh, that's interesting. And that was a huge success for them. Mm-hmm. They were um, like they had the edgier contenders in this like era too. So it's like they also had Secretary that they tried to make happen. This specific year, I think what kind of changed, because they didn't have, like, the money they have now. Like, you see it a little bit to an extent. They have more success than Lionsgate Lionsgate had at the time. But you see it a little bit with, like, A24 and Neon, where it's like you don't have as much money to spend on everything. So it's like you follow where it's leading. And in Lionsgate, the week before Love Song Bobby Long opened, they opened Hotel Rwanda. Which really uh, took off, especially later in the year. That's the success story that year, yeah. The first Lionsgate movie I recall noticing that it's a Lionsgate movie was American Psycho in 2000. Yeah. Which, as I'm looking at their list of movies, was like pretty early for them. Because the year before, they released Dogma, which was their first ever mm-hmm. wide release. Which was originally a Miramax movie before right. Disney said But there said was all that controversy. Not. Right, Disney's not going to have a movie that's, like, sacrilege the film. Um, and so, yeah, and so Dogma went on to... But, like, their very fir- their very earliest movies I'm looking here on Wikipedia, Wikipedia are stuff like Love and Death on Long Island, which was that movie with Jason Priestley and John Hurt, which was sort of like Gods and Monsters alts. Like, it was mm-hmm. alt gods, gods and Monsters. It was basically... Uh, very similar story. Um, Buffalo 66, which don't get me started. Um, oh, and they also did Gods and Monsters. That's funny that they did both Love and Death on Long Island and Gods and Monsters. So, okay, so like very early on, they had a Best Picture nominee in their like second year of existence. Yeah. Want to know what the very first Lionsgate movie ever released was? I think I know this, but I forget, so tell me. Peter Greenaway's The Pillow Book. I didn't know that, never mind. <laughs> Which I only knew about at the time. This was released in 1996, so I was, like, smack in the middle of high school. I only knew of this movie as, oh, that's a movie where Ewan McGregor shows his butt. And his penis. 
let's 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 take a step back though. Two thousand four in general for Lionsgate is kind of insane on yeah. like several different levels. You mentioned Hotel Rwanda, which ultimately becomes an Oscar success. It has beyond the fact that they did a co-production of The Day After Tomorrow, which we won't really count because like Day After Tomorrow is a twentieth century Fox movie. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they do Saw uh, around Halloween time, which is a big old hit. Back in su- in summer. They have Fahrenheit 9-11, mm-hmm. which is a, people forget, blockbuster hit. Yeah, like, it's like 2004. $120 million. They release it around, like, 4th of July. And I think the Election only- year madness yeah. manifested itself in 2004 by both Fahrenheit 9-11 and The Passion of the Christ being, like, super monster blockbuster hits. Correct me if I am wrong, but the other thing about Fahrenheit 9-11, I believe at this time... There was a documentary Oscar rule in place that you could not be eligible for both, and Michael Moore decided to push that movie for Best Picture. Yes? And then it was ultimately not eligible because they broadcast the movie on, like, PBS or something right before voting. The election. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because I remember when the Oscar nominations came out and Fahrenheit 9-11 didn't get any nominations, there was no sense of surprise. Yeah, because I don't think it was eligible at that point. But the original campaign idea was to push it for Best Picture. Yeah. Um, Lionsgate that year also had Dogville, one of my... Easily my favorite Von Trier movie, and um, one that was pretty well received, even though there was the usual sort of Von Trier controversy. Yeah, it was early in the year. Yeah, and this was also the year of um, Open Water, which was made for like a buck twenty-five and made like over fifty million dollars at the box office. But also, speaking of the Golden Globes, um, Kevin Spacey's Beyond the Sea, which was also a nomination, which was hilarious, deeply, deeply hilarious, and a perfect Golden Globe nominee in that it's just like utter shamelessness wins the day. Oy. I've never seen that movie. I'm it's sure really I bad will for it is, our purposes eventually. It it takes the cake is it gives a love song for Bobby Long a little bit of a break in that like it's not the worst nominee nominee at the Golden Globes that year. Like Beyond the Sea was clearly the worst nominee at the Golden Globes that year. So good good for you, a love song for Bobby Long. Good for you, Lionsgate. But if you landscape, great year, big year. Let's let's move on to talking a little bit about the movie, and we'll loop back to the uh, awards season a little bit. So, sure, sure, sure. As we mentioned, love song for Bobby Long. It's written and directed by Shaney Gable or Gobble, um, adapted from a novel that had never been published called Off Street Magazine by Ronald Everett Capps, <laughs> which like Off Magazine Street, Off Magazine yes. Street. Yes, they. This is also like a mid-2000s thing where it's like, we're going to adapt this novel that's never been published or the story that's never been published. Memento right. did it. It's not like it's even like right. disreputable uh, films. Um, but the film, as we mentioned, stars Scarlett Johansson and a, um, uh, a, a, a maxed-out John Travolta, <laughs> Gabriel Macht, Deborah Kara Unger, justice for Deborah Kara Unger, uh, oh, Justice for the good, cr- about the good crash. Else. Yeah, yeah. Deborah Kerr Unger, post David Cronenberg's crash, absolutely deserved more. But maybe because of what that movie is, like didn't. But like she's fucking great in that movie. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 
As we mentioned, a love song for Bobby Long premiered at Venice in the Horizon sidebar and then opened limited December 29th of 2004. Joseph. <sighs> that fateful day. Yeah, I know what you're going to ask me to do. I'm going to ask you. I actually think that this is a relatively easy task. Well, there's not yeah, a lot going that's on true. with the movie. Yeah, that's true. Would you like to give our listeners a 60 second plot description of this movie? I guarantee you, maybe no more than a dozen of them have seen. Yeah, let's do it. I could say anything. Honestly, I could say, I could just like monologue for a minute about nothing. And everybody would be like, I would have no choice but to believe that because yeah. how else how else would I know? Exactly. All right. All right, Joseph, your sixty second yes. plot description for a love song for Bobby Long starts yeah. now. People be drinking. Um that's my plot description <laughs> for a love song for Bobby line. Long. Uh, Scarlett Johansson plays an 18-year-old woman living in Florida with her shit-ass boyfriend in a trailer park. Her name, get get this, is Purcellane Hominy Will. Do you think she's from the South? Yes, she is. Uh, they call her Percy for short, but like not in a way that like is spelled not gross. Anyway, she finds out that her mother has died. Her mother is sort of estranged from her. She was a jazz singer, so like extrapolate what you will. She goes to Louisiana to go live in the house that her mom left for her. And 30 seconds. Her mom's like, surprise, you also have to live with drunk-ass Bobby Long, played by John Travolta, with like weird platinum hair and also other suits from suits who is like a kind of a dish but he's sort of dating deborah Kara unger but also he's like obviously in love with scarlett johansson but whatever they become this weird like threesome and they're both like terrible alcoholics and she's like stop drinking and teach me how to like go to get my ged and she gets her ged and then she finds out that bobby long is actually her father after all and then bobby long dies of alcoholism like the next day and it's like sort of sad and but also time. it's just like yeah that happened what did i miss um I don't think you really missed anything essential. This movie is so long for the plot that it is. Okay, so it really is just, like, the three of them in a house, drunk. She's not drunk. drunk, She doesn't become a drunk. Yeah, she doesn't drink. I mean, she smokes. She, she, yeah, yeah. she's whatever. They're, like, hardcore alcoholics living in a ramshackle house that's falling apart. Like, it's very He's, like... Travolta's an old college professor who's like fallen on hard times. We eventually get the story from other suits that um uh there was this like horrible incident where like there was a drunken bar fight that Bobby Long like stepped in to like save other suits from getting a beating and ended up like beating the shit out of this one guy and then like forgot to pick up his kid from soccer practice or little league or whatever and then the little kid like tried to walk home and got hit by a car and died and so like um his wife left him forever and like that's the sad story of Bobby Long but also we find out that like he's Scarlett Johansson's father because fucking of course he is I love that they get to the end of the movie and there's this huge reveal where she finds out in like this old letters from her mother and like connects the dots through this like uh whatever inscribed copy of the heart is a lonely hunter when like obviously bobby long had to have known this because as she even mentions she's like what you couldn't count to nine months like for fucking serious <laughs> like you knew when you had sex with her you knew when she had this baby like what in the freaking world anyway couple things that which annoy would, the which would seem less weird which would seem less weird sorry to interrupt you and i'll just say this and then i'll let you know go you for talk. it um it would seem less weird. It would I would I would believe that on a like self deception level, and he doesn't want to acknowledge it, so he's not going to like mention it level, right? Except that's not how the movie plays it. The movie plays it like he doesn't know, or else they wouldn't have him fucking hitting on her every ten minutes so in this gross. movie. <laughs> All right, the grossest. 
Yeah. Couple petty annoyances. <laughs> One, you said people petty be annoyance drinking is and... absolutely my drag name. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Petty Annoyance. <laughs> Actually, I think that's a great drag name. Um, yeah. You just go around and like take straws out of everybody's right. drinks. Right. Right. Um, right. Just dumb shit. Um, yeah. You mentioned people be drinking, which would be the perfect tagline for this movie. Uh, yes. The actual tagline, I am not kidding, oh no. Oh is no. The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. Oh, God. The title of the book that you plays do that. an impact in the third act of this movie. Very stupid. Also, go on Amazon and look at the various DVD covers. This movie is, like, grimy and gross. And, like, the best thing about this movie... Oh, there is a film of sweat on the, like, movie poster. <laughs> on the like, poster. That actually, like, like yeah. It, it was shipped wet. Um, <laughs> like, gross. you see, like, the poster frame just, like, drooling. The poster also, is the best thing yeah. about this movie. The original poster, not the DVD art. It's, like... It makes you think that this movie has, like, a ton of gravitas. Maybe there's a mystery. It might even be a tiny bit scary. Whatever. But Are you talking about the poster with, like, the, the diagonal sort of beam yes. of light yes, across yes, the yes. two of them? Yes. It does make it look like it's a serial killer movie or at least, like, a very heavy drama. It makes you think, like, Monster's Ball, right? Um, so yeah, kind of, yeah. But if you go on Amazon, one of the DVD covers for this movie... No. Is like from the end when she gets married and is like, <laughs> she's in the pink dress and it's a beautiful blue sky and she's dancing with John Travolta. Imagine picking this up off the shelf and blind buying it and that's the movie you get. <laughs> it's so like misleading to the potential buyer. Can I also, I was so happy for that movie to be almost done. I don't think I ever made note of who she ended up marrying. Oh, I didn't either. Um, okay. And I don't think that that is essential information. It's so just it's just like, like later on she got married. But it's like trying we never to even give saw you her a dating nice a good guy. Sentimental ending before they yeah. kill John Travolta. Yeah, they really hop, skip, and jump through time like a lot in that last ten yeah. minutes. It becomes very, very saccharine at the end of the movie after like this long meandering about her getting her GED and like they're trying to like half help her they don't aren't always as helpful to her which like that would be an interesting story if the movie was really like interested in her like learning and growing from it and like what that experience would be like but the movie is just like we need some type of plot something to forward this story and then like really it only does that by half right but like there's a certain level to this where if you had told me that it was adapted from a stage play that was like produced in the year 2000 yeah everything would make sense because like this is so that era of play where it was like just like three people interacting and then it becomes way more like sentimental than you think it is like three people interact and then like there's a letter that reveals a family secret exactly yeah yeah. Um, we didn't mention that this uh, movie, Love Song for Bobby Long, is part, part of the Bobby Cinematic Universe, which connects uh, 2006's Bobby to it. <laughs> that there's um, narrative continuity between the two, and ultimately, Scarlett Johansson shoots Bobby Kennedy, which is a weird thing. Like, yeah. I didn't think that was going to happen, and yet... She goes in a time machine, finds her mother, 
Okay, so she's supposed to be 18 in this. She was 20 when she made it, so, like, that's about right. Yeah. Um, she does that Scarlett Johansson late teens, early 20s thing where she's, like, the most prepossessed person on screen. Mm-hmm. And it is undeniably captivating in that way. I think she acquits herself well, which isn't the same as being, like, she's word-worthy in this movie. But, like, she's clearly giving the best performance in this film. Yeah, like, this, you're right that it is very indicative of this, like, era of when she was first emerging, that, like, she was just compelling to watch in, like, whatever environment she was in. Like, it makes... It makes complete sense that the actress that did Ghost World is in this movie. But I looked yeah. up the actual dates and the filming dates for this movie. She filmed this movie in, like, July, August of 03. Oh, okay. So, like, she would have immediately left this set and gone to the premiere of... Lost in Translation. And Girl with a Pearl Earring. They were both at Telluride. They were both at TIFF. Lost in Translation, I believe, was at Venice. So it's like, it's like at the right moment where maybe she wouldn't have done this movie otherwise. That's true. That's true. She was already committed before she knew what what a hit year she had on her hands. She was double nominated at the Globes in 03 for both of those movies, which Uh which makes this sort of into this like three-year... Um, behemoth of like all oh, Scarlett Johansson's everywhere, and you would have absolutely assumed, given that kind of uh, presence at an award show like the Globes, that she would have gotten her first Oscar nomination well before this past Monday Today. as we're recording <laughs> this, <laughs> right? Like it's wild to me that it took this long to get her. Oscar nominated. Like, it's, we've talked about this before, so we don't really need to, like, relitigate why she didn't get nominated for Lesson Translation. There were category placement issues. Did we talk about that in the like, 03 miniseries? We must have. We must have. I can't remember the last episode that we've done that would have been her. And I, th- I was trying to remember what Gabriel Mack's movie we had done. Because I'm like, <laughs> I know I've talked about other suits before, and about how he's married to Jacinda Barrett from the real world London, and how they were both at the royal wedding because they were both on suits I mean, we probably Meghan talked Markle. about him for The Human Stain, because Jacinda Barrett's in that. Because that, that's, I think that's what it was, is that it was um, Jacinda Barrett. There is this wonderful photo from the royal wedding of, like, on the bus on the way to, like, the wedding, and it's Priyanka Chopra, Gina Torres, Jacinda Barrett, and other suits. And then somebody else who I can't quite identify. But anyway. <laughs> um, what a great photo. Like, what a excellent... Wait, maybe this will tell me in the caption. But, like, I love that Jacinda Barrett, you know, continues to have a moment. By being married Wonderful. to other suits. By marrying to other suits. Like... And honestly, Other Suits has a better career at this point than Suits. Right? Who is Suits? I mean, maybe I at this point. Suits. like Suits ended in September, so now Other Suits is free to like pursue other projects. Other Other suits. suits. Other Other Suits. Oh my god, what if that's a spinoff? Of other, of, no, they already had a spinoff and that didn't do too well. He has nothing further on his IMDb list past Suits. But I believe you knew Other Suits, and I believe in Jacinda Barrett as well. And I can't I really believe that Gabriel Mock didn't make your 
very demonic game of all of the indistinguishable <laughs> blonde men with jawlines. He was that guy for the early 2000s. I think by the time you get into the 2010s, he was a, he was no longer part of that um, fraternity, let's say. Yeah. He's not bad in this. He's very handsome. Yeah, I, I actually think he's probably the best performance in this. He has a monologue that he's really bad at. Um, the one where he's talking about what happened to Travolta's And he has to kid. cry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also don't I think know... he's the most compelling presence in the movie. Maybe it was just I don't know. <laughs> they were very good nipples. They were good nipples. Um, I don't know if I entirely bought him as a degenerate alcoholic. Yeah, like you but maybe, maybe the idea was that like actor. he was on his way. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I kind of wanted him and Scarlett to smooch. I know poor Deborah Kara Unger would have been heartbroken, but like, yeah. can't get ahead, Deborah Kara Unger. She's bound for heartbreak anyway. Like that's sort of her lot in life. That's, yes, those are the characters she plays. So to bring yeah, it back I thought to it was, Scarlett I, a little bit, yeah, that performance yes. was like. John Travolta is doing the John Travolta thing, and I absolutely still want to talk about that performance, even though we've talked a lot about Travolta and, like, awards and stuff. Yes. She is so ludicrously cast to me, like, in that, like, (laughs) she is not at all right for this role. It's just she was that indie actress at this time that would be in movies like this. Like, I just don't think, even though, as we all know, Scarlett Johansson says some dumb shit um, I don't think Not she's believable as it. somebody who, like, didn't, who just, like, has the background that this character is. Not to say that people who don't educate high school aren't intelligent, but, like, this movie is so bent on being, like, this is a woman who sits around and eats straight yeah. out of a peanut butter jar when we meet her. Right. And it's, like, right. she doesn't play that in any believable way. No, she's, there's, there is, uh... You want a certain air of authenticity that, like, authenticity for Scarlett Johansson at this time is, like, privilege, perhaps a certain emotional reserve, that, like, that's what we like But also a kind of, there's a cunningness to her, too. Yeah. That I don't feel like befits this character. Yeah, this character is a little bit more, like, simple, takes things on their face, and just kind of, like falls back to what life offers her. Like, she has an abusive boyfriend that she, like, doesn't really try to get away from until an opportunity strikes, I guess? I don't yeah. know. This is this character is not all that compelling. And that's why I kind of say this feels like a stage play where it's like the entire drama of what we're supposed to be unfolding is just watching these people interact, right? It's supposed to be, like, through the dialogue, that's what's compelling. But, like... Yeah. And it, maybe it would work more on a stage than on film. But she's just so wildly miscast to me in this that... I don't know. What was your take on I get it. I enjoyed watching her do her thing. I enjoyed... I am kind of a sucker for these types of movies where three wayward souls form a ad hoc family 100% like even, which is why I even was when it's I done clumsily like it 
mm-hmm. I still I still like it. Anything where like the parts where they're helping her study for her GED, and you can tell. And then like I mean, <laughs> I almost wanted to lead. I should have led. Um, my 60 second plot description with a love song for Bobby Long is a Christmas movie because it is. It's a it is a Christmas movie. movie. Um, all those scenes around Christmas were like, I'm like, am I, is this heartwarming to me? Like what is happening? What's going on? Why am I reacting to this? And I think I was, I think I was charmed by this little family that they make, even though John Travolta is the most annoying <laughs> so... human being in this movie. He's so irritating. He's so and obvious. That's the other thing is there's nothing surprising about like his whole arc is like he's already a drunk. You know he's harboring secrets. You probably know what that secret is if you've like seen a movie before. Um he's got the clap and he like I don't know, is gross and is sweaty and is drunk all the time and, and the like, performance is like such like a drawl like he is leaning in hard to like the southernness of it and like the it's i don't also know. this movie makes one billion times more sense if bobby long is at the very least a bisexual Yes, absolutely. And maybe that's John Travolta's performance and, like, us reading into John Travolta what many people have before, but, like... I don't it, necessarily think it, that's makes just sense. that. That whole, that. that whole thing where Bobby Long uh, has the outburst at the bar where he yells at Deborah Kara Unger and is like, he doesn't love you, he loves her. Yes! Um, because he's mad that she's taking other suits away from him and like if that that scene makes so much more sense if other suits is just like just admit that you're in love with me because Uh it's what is like that's the truth of it that is what's happening there don't you know piss on my robe and tell me it's raining to quote judge judy like almost to the extent where like there's so much about this movie that feels like an artifact to begin with, but like it feels more like an artifact from 1994 rather than 2004, where it's like, okay, this is from a text where there's right. very clear gay overtones, but like when making the movie, they have to make it as subtle as possible, but say they're still doing it. Very fried green tomatoes. Maybe that was their homage to Tennessee Williams, that they're just like, <laughs> we're going to play this as if there was an original text that was fully gay, and now we have like stripped that out of it for the film version. But we still cast Ron Travolta. But this we still is... cast Ron Travolta. I would say more so than even Hairspray, this is John Travolta's (laughs) draggiest performance. (laughs) It's pretty draggy. It's It's so campy. Yeah, Like, he does a country song at one point. He's like... He tells a story about having a pussy in your pocket or something. He has a whole whole... monologue about a pussy and, like... (laughs) Uh, you never want to hear John Travolta say oh, it. He I says hope it a lot. He says that word a million times, and it's in just his like bad Southern accent. Your skin and it just... recedes onto your bones further and further each time. Yeah, I have to have my skin reapplied today. It's like it's going to be a huge pain in the ass yeah. to try and get out there and get it done. You but feel I have to your do body it. dehydrating when he says it every time. <laughs> um, right. All those all those articles you read about like the benefits of water and eight glasses a day and all that the opposite of all that is watching john travolta say pussy as many times as he does in this movie exactly <laughs> and i don't know i mean john travolta is just very bad 
He is. He's very bad in this. And this movie is basically the three of them. I know we mentioned Deborah Carr Unger a couple, uh, a lot because we like her, but like she's barely in this movie. Like this yeah. movie is the three of them. It was a little this, shocking like, that they cast her in this role because she maybe says five words. Also, and not to like again, we mentioned that the director, whose name is Shaney Gable, never directed a movie after this, and that's sad. Which is unfair. Like the movie is competently assembled; it just seems dated at the time. Like, it, I, it's not a directorial issue. It's just like this is what this movie is, and and yet, a a, a criticism of the director might be that I think not making the house more of a character to use a cliched phrase Mm -hmm. uh, is a lost opportunity for this movie. I think when you only have those three characters and the house is such a big part of the plot in terms of who owns it, who gets to stay there, you know, is that's this, you know, unlikely flop house that is holding them all together. Sometimes that house looks shitty. Sometimes that house looks better than they deserve. Sometimes it looks bigger. Sometimes it seems smaller. Sometimes it and looks like, like a real house. Sometimes it looks like a set. It's like... Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, I I really feel like more care given towards the character of the house would have mm-hmm. been a real benefit to this movie. And perhaps some of this is like a lot just first screenplay, first feature issues that you see with a lot of other movies, and it's like, I think it still would be enough to give this director another shot at some point. Like, it feels a little... Yeah, I mean, she didn't, like, burn a house down or anything. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. uh... It's only other nominations for anything were from something called the Prism Awards... Did you investigate this at all? I didn't, but I know I've seen that name before. Is that like a Southern Filming Location Award? Well, the nominations were for Travolta and Johansson, so... Um, Prism Award. Honors the creative community for accurate portrayals of substance abuse, addiction, and mental health and entertainment programming. Okay. Interesting. That's good. That they, we support you. We do. I don't know if John Travolta in A Love Song for Bobby Long is who I'm going to, like... Nominate um, for that? Yeah. Who did he lose to? He lost to okay. Jamie Foxx for Ray. For as Ray. he would uh, continue to do. <laughs> right. Uh, other, other nominees... Yeah, uh, go for it. Both of them Thob movies. Potential this had Oscar buzz titles. Ashley Judd in De Lovely and Christopher Walken in Around the Bend. Talk I don't about remember Around movie. the Bend at all. Oh, I remember it for, like potential oh was this i'm gonna look up these oh this poster dates. this poster is a nightmare you look up release dates i'm going to describe the poster yeah it opened limited in october this movie i remember as being a potential like christopher walken thing before it died immediately so this appears to be an estranged father-son movie or something um starring christopher walken josh lucas and michael kane the tagline is the skeletons in the family closet just came out to play? Oh, Woof. here you go. This was a Warner Independent movie. <gasps> Warner Independent. Rest in peace. You were here for like three years. I miss you. Please have your own dedicated channel on HBO Max when that comes about. For like I hope. the five movies they had. I loved you, Warner Independent. Okay, so around the Ben's poster, um. Nobody, not only is it nobody's in the same room when this was shot, but, like, nobody 
got photographed for the poster. Like this is like John, like Christopher Walken is in the middle of a scene where he's laughing. So he looks like completely insane. Then juxtaposed over his shoulder is a shot of Josh Lucas from like looking like he's a police detective trying to solve the case of Mel Gibson's son who's being ransomed. Like that's the vibe that he's showing. So like looks like he's about to arrest his own father maybe or something. Totally not in the same like shot whatsoever. Um, Michael Caine's name is on the poster, but he is not on the poster, which like he's only a two-time Academy Award winner. I can't imagine why you wouldn't want him on your poster. And then the title is around the bend and the title is rendered as like an elbow shape where it's like around <laughs> because the, t- the text written, literally goes around the bend it forms an l shape where around is rendered vertically and yet also like flush to the left edge of the poster um and then the and bend are flush to the bottom but like it it forms an l and it's so stupid it's could be it might as well just be like get it it's a bend like it's bad. Bad poster. We should do and a this deep has dive been... of Warner Independent, which I am seeing an opportunity for us to do so in the near future. But we yeah. should also say shout out to uh, a movie from our opening theme song that's Warner Independent. For your consideration is Warner Independent. Ah, uh, good for that. Anyway, that was a that was your latest segment of Joe describes a visual medium. <laughs> On an audio medium, <laughs> we uh, we're talking a lot about like visual things. We talked about the poster for Bobby Long in this. Yeah. Listen, we know that you're like sometimes you like to play around in this, and like your IMDb app is at worst on your phone. Like just right. look it up and look at the poster while you're listening. Okay, do we want to talk? It's a an little immersive bit experience <laughs> about Scarlett Johansson's very strange trajectory to her Oscar nominations. Yeah. Because I feel like she is one of those people that is dubbed always gets nominated with the Globes. And really, she didn't. Because it was like that very short period. She has the double nomination before this. That's what caused the reputation and it never went away. Yeah. And then this. Yeah. And then the next year's match point, And she never got nominated again until Marriage Story. So right. it's like it was brief. But like she wasn't getting nominated for things like Under the Skin. No. Her greatest performance. And maybe it's, some of this is because, like, she's really bad at PR now, and, like, nobody wants to reward her for those things when they can, like, reward, you know, nice people. And, like, the focus became Marvel, and I don't we know. We all forget Scarlett Johansson was also on that Golden Globe red carpet when Isaac Mizrahi, like, fully, like, bounced around her boob uh. while he was talking about her dress. And, like, the Golden Globes and Scarlett Johansson have a fraught history, let's just say. Yes, they do. Um, but no, you're right. I think she she amassed that reputation for that very short span of years, and then it just like doesn't go away. The one who like truly does deserve that reputation is like Emily Blunt, who has so yes. many Golden Globe nominations and has won once, twice, at least once. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Has she? Won? No, she won for Gideon's Daughter, for TV. the TV. Yeah. 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 But yeah, like. Yeah. They didn't. The Globes didn't nominate Scarlett Johansson for even like Vicky Cristina Barcelona. They nominated Rebecca right. Hall for it. Like, which Rebecca Hall gives a great performance. The thing about Vicky Cristina Barcelona is that everybody's excellent in it, and like, it's infuriating that that is a Woody Allen movie because I love every single thing about it. It's Again, so... another movie I haven't seen since I saw it in the theater. Even among like. Woody Allen's rubric of, like, bad on gender stuff, like, how he, like, 
you know, mm-hmm. his gender politics in terms of, you know, women driving men to infidelity and, and all this sort of stuff. It's even, like, among the least offensive in that regard. And he's not in it, which is, like, makes a huge difference for a Woody Allen movie. I and, remember like, seeing that movie and feeling like something else is going on here. This doesn't really fully feel like his... Not like he, he would relinquish any type of control. But, right. like, there's an energy to that movie that feels separate from the Woody Allen ethos, and I don't quite know what it is. I'd have to watch it again. There was that time where it where it felt like him crossing the pond and making these movies in England and Spain and, you know, all these different places would, like, momentarily invigorate him. And, like, ultimately that wore off as well. But, like, Matchpoint, I think... Matchpoint's somewhat of a divisive movie. Some people love it and some people hate it. I really love it. I think it's great. And I think Scarlet's great in it. Um, And then, obviously, as I said, Vicky Cristina Barcelona is wonderful. But she Mm -hmm. makes three movies with Woody Allen, which, like, does color... I don't know. I'm not getting into it. I'm not getting into controversial Scarlett Johansson. I will just say that, like... We've talked about her before. We say... We have many times said that she is someone who needs to listen more than speak. Um... Yeah, good advice for anybody. But, like, I wonder how much that did play into her not getting, like, awards attention or more Golden Eh. Globe nominations that we assume are there because, like, she could have been nominated for Don John. You could understand them throwing a nomination at, like, The Nanny Diaries. But, like, I think there's this incorrect assumption that she has more Golden Globe nominations than she does. I my answer to that would be twofold. A, I think it's assuming probably more virtue than is deserved on awards voters to say that she wasn't getting attention because of her various controversies. Yeah, that's fair. And also, the Golden Globes have never allowed previous nominations to uh, deter them from giving further nominations. Like. The Oscars, maybe, yes. The Oscars are are the voters who are sometimes like, eh, you've had enough. Like, right. You've had enough good things. Maybe let's put the brakes on that for a while. Well, they're Whereas, the like, ones the that Globes... are susceptible to, like, the overdue narrative. And then when you get your overdue Oscar, they're sick of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as we, I, I wrote about this thirty years for Pacino to get nominated again. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Um, there's... God, so many of those nominees this year have like had those huge gaps. But I wrote about um, double nominees in the in in the in the guise of Scarlet's double nominations this year. Mm-hmm. Five actor or actresses who have been double nominated got the double nominations for their first and second Oscar nominations. Do you know what I mean? That's fascinating. Do you know any? You want to take a stab? Two of them were from like. Because the thing about double nominees, there were three not double nominees in the first 15 years of Oscars, mm-hmm. and then none for 40 years in between that and Jessica Lange. But Lang those are also them. the years where they, they nominated 10 performances, right? And they nominated, like, Barry Fitzgerald for the same performance in two categories yeah. in, uh, in Going My Way. That, so, that like, does not count. <laughs> well, I mean, technically it does, and, and, and I included it's it. But yeah, it's across, but like, an asterisk as, as, asterisk as fuck, for sure. Yeah. I mean, Emma so there are only two in the modern era. I will say that got it for their first and second nomination. Emma Thompson, Jamie Foxx, not Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson was was double nominated after she won for Howard's End. It was the very next year. But Howard's End was her first acting nomination, right? 
Yes. Okay. But her double nomination wasn't the Howard Zend year. Right. Her double nomination was the next year for uh, Remains of the Day and mm-hmm. uh, in the Name of the Father. Jamie Foxx is definitely correct. Jamie Foxx's only two Oscar nominations came in the same year. Jamie Foxx Colla- could have deserved to win both of those Oscars if Collateral, Collateral wasn't a lead is, performance. is the most egregious example of category fraud in my lifetime. If oh, we're not, yeah, 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 yeah. At the very least with Haley Joel Osment in The Sixth Sense, we're like, he's the lead of the movie and he's in I would also throw he- Emma Stone in The Favorite as well. Well, I, I, all right, but I would say in both of those occasions, I mean, I guess you could say that in Collateral, there's, uh, there's a reason there where it happened where you can understand where it's just like Tom Cruise is a bigger star. Anybody who's not Tom Cruise is subordinate to Tom Cruise, and like, and it's, it's also clearly like Jamie Fox was so beloved that year and so like hot with awards voters that it's like okay we love you this much we're going to say that this is perform this is supporting so we can nominate you again it was so like to me at least it was so over the top and unnecessary it's like we get it we know you're really into jamie fox this year just like calm the fuck down um again he's amazing and both and could have deserved both of those oscars Sure, there's no way I would have nominated him for Collateral. A, I don't love Collateral the way everybody loves Collateral. B, there's got to be somebody else who would have been worthy of a nomination more. Let me let me bring up my 2004 list. You talk about uh, you try and figure out who the other um, first other two supporting nominations actor were or, yeah, yeah. or the other two. Oh my god! Well, it's not Julianne Moore. It's not Julianne Moore. No, it's not. Um, who am I forgetting? Two cups of coffee in. And I'm <laughs> Not Pacino. Not Pacino, no. Those, this is like Kill seventh him. and eighth nominations or something um, like that. I know that this is egregious, and I can, and why can't I remember who this other person is? We just had this conversation. It wasn't Kate Blanchett. Nope. <sighs> Go back farther. Go back farther. Yeah. So we're talking like 80s or 70s? None of it didn't happen again from the forties until the eighties. So it's certainly yeah, not Holly Hunter. It's not Holly Hunter. She was nominated for broadcast news. Oh God. Holly Hunter should win for her Oscar for that, and then Angela Bassett could have her Oscar, even though the piano is great. Um yes. I don't know. I'm getting really stumped, and it's probably because it's a man. It is not. It's a woman. It is Jessica Lange, whose first Duh, two Oscar nominations... See, I knew it was going to be egregious. It's just Francis that it's so weird Tootsie. that she has an Oscar for Tootsie. And, and for Blue Sky. Like, it's her really, two she Oscar has a supporting actress so Oscar bizarre. for Tootsie for her performance for Francis. Yes. Like, truly. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think ultimately, like, that was even, like, people just, like, were upfront about it at the time. They're like, well, we can't not award Meryl Streep and Sophie's Choice, which, like, even then was Meryl Streep and Sophie's Choice. Like, it yes. was the apex of everything when you talk about, like, Oscar-winning performances. Uh, but it's so stupid because they ended up giving Jessica Lange another, perhaps dubious, Oscar anyway. But also, like, imagine having two performances from the same movie and you don't give it to terry gar well my favorite thing is that like terry gar will talk about this yes and will be like that was some bullshit like (laughs) will not let it go i fucking love that about terry gar okay so jamie fox and collateral 
could have nominated instead. We talked about this on our own very po- our very own podcast. Either Jude Law or Mark Wahlberg for I Heart Huckabees. That yes. was that year. Um, I loved Tom Wilkinson and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and that was uh, on their radar. That was their screenplay winner that year. So like it wasn't that impossible. I like Ruffalo in that movie. David Carradine in Kill Bill Volume 2. Uh, Tony Leung in Hero, which was nominated for all regular awards that year, I'm pretty sure. Because it opened in the United States two full years after it was a foreign language film nominee. Naked Peter um, Sarsgaard for Kinsey. Peter Sarsgaard for Kinsey, absolutely. Um, Paul Bettany for Dogville. Um, there's a lot of... There's a lot of possibility there. I don't think and that, I mean, like, I think it is on a category basis, but I still love that performance. Okay, that's fine. I'm trying to find some other people. I wish I liked Collateral better, but I don't. You know who I do love in Collateral, though, is Mark Ruffalo. But maybe it's, like, the ridiculousness that's of wild. Mark Ruffalo. I, I need to see that movie again, because, like, I remember being like, I'm here, Bardem! <laughs> what you doing buddy yeah doing? Um, continuing down the Scarlett Johansson rabbit hole for one second I learned an interesting thing yesterday Oh, which is I learned what the premise of the horse whisperer is oh god because Which, yes, that is her. That was her big debut for us as viewers of the Horse Whisperer. Right? I or, thought it was about a fucking it. Horse Whisperer. I didn't know it was about a little girl who's best friends with Kate Bosworth, who then gets dragged by her horse and then run over by a truck. Yes, it is that. That is not what I was prepared to know about the Horse Whisperer. This like quiet little Robert Redford directed old where you like, think that it's some lovely story romance. because of the like vaguely out of focus poster of a horse running through a sea All of right. red we're conti- we're finishing we're closing the loop finishing the triptych on us describing posters the horse whisperer <laughs> poster is fucking benoodles it's the foreground is of like a horse, like Black Beauty herself, like whatever, mm-hmm. just like running free across the plains of wherever the fuck, Utah. The plains of red. <laughs> and then above it, in the like sunset, orangey, sepia, like soft glow, is Robert Redford in a cowboy hat, like just f- folks and talking to. Oh, uh, see, to I just remember Kristen the Scott Thomas. Just the horse. Okay, there are versions of the poster with just the horse, but I'm also looking at another one that is that with also, like, Redford and Kristen Scott Thomas in sepia tone leaning up against birch trees and, like, talking semi-romantically. It's a lot. Anyway, yeah. Very much a lot. Unfortunately, a movie we cannot talk about because it has an Oscar nomination. Is it score? Probably. Let's see. But, like, just the horse poster is, like, the type of poster that is designed to just fill the poster with quotes and critic, like, pull quotes. Also, I, I'm I'm always fascinated by movies that the movie itself, 
wasn't a big thing, like hasn't endured, but one little element, it was original song. <laughs> oh, right. For nominee. like a country song, who wa- it wasn't like Faith Hill, but was it like Trisha Yearwood? It might have been. They do, They only write, They only mention the song writers. Mm, um, okay, that, the song yeah. name is A Soft Place to Fall. I'm willing to bet by that title alone that that is an Alison Krauss song. I am looking this up. Look that up while I mention that like, I am fascinated by these movies where the movie doesn't make a huge impression, but something about it does. And with The Horse Whisperer, it was the idea of a blank whisperer. Where like it's still mentioned today. Like if you have a particular affinity for like getting your parents' computer to work, you know what I mean? Like you are the laptop whisperer. Like you are the you're the in law whisperer if you like know how to get it you know, get along with your in laws very well. It is so funny where like if you asked anybody who uses a blank whisperer phrase to describe the plot of the horse whisperer they wouldn't mention the horror that i just mentioned to you about scarlett johansson and kate bosworth and getting dragged by a horse and then run over by a semi-truck like they wouldn't mention that to you like that's the same premise as pet cemetery (laughs) actual fuck (laughs) like what's going on you are not wrong, my friend. Uh, a Soft Place to Fall was actually sung by the songwriter Alison Maurer. So, uh, okay. Well, difficult we for us to jab that in the ribs. Maurer difficult However, for us. I do yeah. think we have a missed opportunity that the Horse Whisperer didn't happen in the Twitter age because I just think all of the, like, remember Ben is Back was like everybody made jokes about Ben is Back. Do I remember tweets. Ben is back? Of course Christopher. you do. Of course you do. Christopher, you even need to ask. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, yes. But, like, the horse whisperer could have been that. Speaking of I ben mean, I think back, it kind of was in the limited way that we could, you know, talk about that. It was that year's show me the money? I don't know. Probably. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about this dubious nomination and, like, what could have taken its place. At the at the 04 Globes? Yes. I mean, yeah. obviously, Catalina Sandina Moreno, who is incredible in Maria Full of Grace and got the Oscar nomination, is one of them. But Can like, I say who is crazy that it didn't get Oh, I think we're going to have the same one. And this is like one of my acts to grind. And it was at the time. Okay. That this performer, I think, was doing great. And this is yes. maybe one of those overdue things that is like, now we're going to ignore you. And I think it's Julia Roberts for Closer. Yes. Yes. I think it's I wild have no, they didn't nominate that. I have no quarrel with the nominees that it did get for... This was the year that both Natalie Portman and Clive Owen won Golden Globes in supporting actor and actress for Closer. Well-deserved, both of them. I think they're both fantastic. But I think all four of, this, of the main cast members for Closer should have been nominated. I think Julia Roberts missing out on actress in a drama at the Globes, where like, already the field is cut in half, yep. is insanity to Particularly me. Particularly because they nominated me. it for Best Motion Picture Drama. Yes! She's so good in that movie. There was a weird, insidious little campaign of lies back at the time that was just like, oh, the movie's good, but Julia Roberts is miscast. Absolutely a campaign of lies. And I also remember a certain sense of like, oh, well, Julia Roberts just like says cuss words now, and this is a thing that people like rolled their eyes at. And it's like, shut up. Like, she's great in that movie. Do you know that like there was an entire album's worth of Panic at the Disco songs that they like named after lines from Closer? (laughs) <laughs> I'm bringing this up because the whole thing and also like there was also um, 
Fallout Boy, too, did a whole bunch of stuff. I think it was the both of them, actually. But, like, there's a line in a Fall Out Boy song about, like, he tastes like you but sweeter, which is the best line from her from that movie. Hold on a second. Panic at the Disco. Closer uh, is uh, deeply quotable. In a very Closer is incredibly way. closer. Uh, uh, quotable. I closable. It's very closable. Um, I fucking love that movie, and I sort of annoyingly can't process it when people are like oh i didn't like that movie and i'm always just like fucking why like explain yourself i love that movie okay so panic at the discos um a fever you can't sweat out which was their i think debut record has one song called lying is the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off which is fully a line from natalie portman in that movie and then the next song after that is called but it's better if you do which was the line she gives right after it like (laughs) it's crazy to me so like i love the idea that between that and the fallout boy song that there's this weird culture of like pop punk brats in the early 2000s who were like huddling around their TVs watching Closer, like, right after it came out. Because this Panic! at the Disco (laughs) album is 05. is 2005 it comes out, so it's, like, the next year. So, like, both Fall Out Boy... You have to imagine that Natalie Portman was the gateway to that. Of course. But, like, I love that it's this Natalie Portman movie. Like, it's not just Garden State or, um... Like, whatever, Leon the Professional or weird shit like that. It's Closer was such, like, a pop cultural moment that I think we haven't fully digested or acknowledged. And so it is Just like you said I saw this face, this vision. You were perfect. Life goes easy on me It was the moment of my life. Can't take my eyes off of you. You came too. You said, hello, stranger. What a floozy. I can't take my <laughs> eyes off of you. I love you. I love I everything about you. my eyes off of you. You're wonderful. I think it was very easy to not talk about the actual movie closer because you could zero in on any of the performances and also because it was this like mid-tier Oscar player where like it was nominated but it wasn't nominated for best picture I do think if it was a top 10 that year it makes the best picture lineup absolutely um it was a screenplay contender but never a serious one to win and after the Golden Globes happened and Portman and Owen won immediately even still the like almost the, the like the higher ups in the Oster prognostication game, your Tom O'Neill's, your, you know, whatever, Sasha Stones, were all just like, don't worry, it's still going to be Kate Blanchett and Morgan Freeman. Don't let these Golden Globes fool you. And it felt to me like we were asserting a status quo before it ever existed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Not to, like, blame, you know, people who don't 
deserve blame for you know Oscar wins or whatever, but like. I mean, we're it seeing this feel... play out this year, too, where it's like, because people say things and assume a certain conventional wisdom, then everything else just fall. everyone else falls in line, and you kill the possibility of something simply because it becomes a train of thought that people just think that it can't happen. There is definitely a degree of self-fulfilling prophecy in the Oscar game. I do feel like... I know that's Mark Harris's big sort of uh, rallying point, is that we shouldn't talk about the Oscars the way we talk about them now because we are choking off too many movies and types of movies too early in the game. And I get it, but I, I also think do it's true like, in a year like this where the calendar is a lot shorter. Yes, but I also feel like it absolves Oscar voters of sort of having the tendencies that they have. Like, ultimately, Oscar voters don't go for horror isn't a thing we all just, like, made up arbitrarily. But maybe we are writing them a permission slip to keep doing that if we're like, well, Us isn't going to happen because it's a horror movie. No, I agree with that. Yeah. Anyway, good on you, Panic at the Disco and Fall Out Boy. Keep quoting awesome movies. I guess to bring it back around to a love song for Bobby Long. If we have to. The closing, like, nail in the coffin for this movie was the qualifying release, which, like, there were movies that it worked for at the time, but, like, I don't think that, like, recent Oscar watchers understand, like, the whole qualifying release ethos, because, like, it doesn't happen anymore, or, like, movies don't get released that late. Right. Like, we saw it this year with Clemency... But yes. again, that was something that doesn't pay off. Like I think a lot of distributors have wised up about this. Yeah. Can you think of an example where a movie similar to A Love Song for Bobby Long, which is, I'll say, um, of dubious quality, but with Oscar-friendly elements, and mm-hmm. by that I mean like actors, was able to sort of bulldoze their way to a nomination by opening so late in the season that people didn't really have time to like let a second impression set in yeah like they regret it immediately yeah like can you what are what are i'm trying to think of like what would examples of that be bombshell's not a good example of it because like that movie did screen fairly early and aggressively um but i'm even thinking like what like back in that era but like back in the earlier 2000s were like I'm trying to think of like what were the, the almost the instant um, buyer's remorse <laughs> where like <laughs> you know what I mean like something gets nominated and then you're just like oh ooh, that I mean maybe the reader yeah that's a good example that's just a good in, example to the extent of how well it did do yeah. nomination morning yeah I think people immediately were like, oh, what did we do? I also but not wonder. Fully to the extent that you're describing. Right. Um, yeah, that like, that, that like New Year's weekend, you know, qualifier. So, like, not even like the Cider House Rules, which opened in December, but early December. Like, early December mm-hmm. is, I think, still time enough for. One thing you about know, awards the, voters to consider things. The clemency release date is like a lot of movies have 
done this successfully when they've had some type of festival birth like that movie yeah. did. Like, Amour, I'm pretty sure, did this. 45 Years did it and still got the um, mm-hmm. nomination for Right, the but you've been playing to... A lot of people have already seen you, and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I, know I almost wonder if, like... Letters from Iwo Jima or something like that, which I think is a really good movie. So maybe that's not what we're talking about. It did show up late, though, and there wasn't any buyer's remorse to it. It's just a movie nobody talks about today. Yeah. But for reasons that I don't think are about its quality. There is a key example of something that fully won an Oscar and, like, a major Oscar doing this type of release and it's escaping me and I'm trying to hunt around for it but I think we're looking at like the 2000s era and it's not like Pollock you know what I mean because like Pollock no I think it actually is Pollock Pollock I'm pretty sure had a qualifying release let me look this up but Pollock I I mean it's all subjective but I think Pollock is a good movie and I think Marsha Gay Harden's performance in Pollock is great it does do that thing of like jumping onto the scene, um, becoming a sort of like white hot little burst of flame, and then going away. And I do think it's you'd be hard pressed to make the argument that Pollock has endured better than Almost Famous at the time, which was like that's who was going to end up winning that supporting actress award, most likely was Kate Hudson in Almost Famous. And much as I love Marsha Gay Harden and feel like she is an actress deserving of an Oscar, and that performance was really great, I think on a The lasting impact of Pollock is her saying what a thrill when she won. Right. And, like, yeah, I think in the grand scheme of things, Kate Hudson, I almost said Kate Winslet, I might have said Kate Winslet earlier, Kate Hudson having an Oscar for that moment in time where she was the most beguiling screen presence like in the movie that year. Very that, be candor. That that you know, should that should exist. Leash be candor wasn't necessarily beguiling, but it was like the year. Okay, so yeah. Pollock did have a qualifying release in mid December before re releasing in um February, but it also played the festival run, and I just remembered the movie that was driving me crazy, and I know yeah. that listeners are going to be screaming at me, because how could I not remember this? It's Still Alice. Oh! Because Still Alice didn't have distribution when it went to Toronto, immediately got the Oscar buzz talk for Julianne Moore, they did a qualifying release for it in December and then did this same thing of re-releasing it around Oscar nominations. Is there a buyer's remorse angle to Still Alice or am I am I blind? Am I blind to it because I love it? I love her performance so much? No, I don't think there's buyer's remorse. I think some people who are uh, silly um, say <laughs> that that is a bad Oscar win for her based off of her performances. Uh. I also think that she's incredible in the movie. Um, that's just a great Best Actress year is the thing. Um, yeah, it is. Where it's like maybe she wouldn't win against her competition, but like the performance itself, I... Do you think if, if Still Alice doesn't happen that year, is there any possible way Reese Witherspoon wins a second one so soon after the first? Mm. 
as she's I mean, I think it would have changed the entire narrative of the season if still Alice wasn't there. So in that regard, yes. But who would have won? Like, do you, do you like, think it could have it could have been Felicity Jones? That it could have been his and her Oscars, and Felicity Jones wins. Maybe, but how? I think much that's your other Enthusiasm was there for that performance. There maybe, wasn't. Maybe again, the with the narrative completely changing because Julianne Moore just isn't on the scene that year. Then all of a sudden, that performance gets like you get a lot more drumming up of enthusiasm for it. I think the campaign you know, takes the ball and maybe runs with it. I have a harder time thinking, just because of the disrespect shown to Gone Girl that year, that Rosamund Pike can pull it off. Yeah. Well, my my mind of, like, speculation in regards to Still Alice is, what if it went into Toronto already having a distribution plan and all of that, and maybe, rather than it being a surprise, and it had been all part of a plan... It could have gotten some more nominations than just Julia. Kristen Stewart, clap, 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 clap. Yep. Screenplay. She was so deserving. She's so good in that movie. And that would have been the perfect chance to, like, take weirdo Kristen Stewart and give her the kind of Oscar nomination that Oscar voters would have been like, yes, I will see this movie and enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, because she's not- her first Oscar nomination is going to be so stupid, guys. Yeah. The more movies she does that are fun and weird and cool, the better the chances that her first Oscar nomination is going to be for something super pedestrian. I mean, probably if I did like a top 10 performances of lead female performances in the decade, she would absolutely be there for Personal Shopper. Yeah, she's great in that. Movie I love, a performance I love. Super. Anyway, should we move on to the IMDb game? Yes, let's. Joseph, tell our listeners what the IMDb game is. Happily so. Okay, uh, the IMDb game. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles' release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Yay! That's the Yay. IMDb game. Joseph, would you like to give or guess first? I am going to guess first. All right. Okay. So I just stuck with the best actress train of this year. um, And I decided to give you one of Scarlett Johansson's co-nominees at the Golden Globes, Miss Imelda Staunton. Oh, hell. Okay. You know what I would love Um, to see in here if National Theatre Live... Follies. Yes. It's shown up God. in here like it rightfully should. Okay. Um, Imelda Staunton, nominated in 2004 for Vera Drake, the Mike Lee film. I'm going to guess that that is one of her four. It is. I feel like maybe I've given you Imelda Staunton before, but these titles, are, I think, are very different. I don't think you have. I think this is a newbie. Um, maybe somebody else has. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Correct. That's one of the that's she's a good one to pull out from the Harry Potter cast because she was in I think two or three of them but only minorly in two of them and like mm, she's, she's mostly just in, in two in one. I think is it and just maybe two? she doesn't okay. show up in the last one but she's in the book I'm yes, pretty sure that's what just I'm Order of the Phoenix gotcha all right uh, anyway so it's two for two now it gets interesting it um, does. 
Do I go with Taking Woodstock? Do I go with Pride, which I love her in. She's so good in Pride. Her and Bill Nye making oh, butter sad. sandwiches for the striking miners in Pride, and he tells her, very matter-of-factly, that he's gay. And she tells him that she knows, and she's always known. Is so wonderful. I love that movie so much. Under every moment of that scene is underplayed as much it, as it possibly can be, and that's what makes it so moving. The Ringer had this wonderful post this week about Andrew Scott in the guise of my big bugaboo, which is everybody's calling him Hot Priest, which is a disservice to his greater career, which I absolutely believe is true. And they used the his performance in 1917, which I love. I think he's the best. The only cameo that's good in that movie. I think that's right. I think that's true. The other cameos um, I, are awful. I don't think Colin Firth is awful. I think Colin Firth makes a lot of sense, and yeah, it Colin makes Firth a lot is of fine sense because he's the first one, right? Anyway, but it's Andrew very Scott is fantastic. But I did a control F search in that article for the word pride, and it's not in there at all. And more people, straight people, the ringer, need to know how great he is in Pride. And I feel like I have exhausted myself telling my followers on Twitter, and I can't do it anymore, or else I'll get like you know, backlashed upon. But, like, he's so good in that movie. Anyway, I'm not going to guess Pride for Melda Staunton because it's underrated. I am going to guess Taking Woodstock, though. Uh, you'd be wrong. Mm, okay. All right, Imelda Staunton, what else you got for us? Two titles, you have one wrong guess. <laughs> My mind keeps saying Billy Elliot, and then I have to slap it down and be like, no! It's <laughs> not Imelda Staunton. mistake on Mike. What's that? Please make that mistake on Mike. <laughs> I feel like my well is full on saying dumb things that are wrong. It's your turn. With like, to me, to say with full confidence, Billy Elliot, and you're like, no. And I'm like, how? You'd be like, okay. she was Oscar nominated. Justice for Julie Walters in your mind, sir. <laughs> okay. All right. So, and none of it's voiceover. None of it's voiceover, no television, no National Theater Live. Yeah. Alrighty. What else do we got? Maybe that's my quest to find somebody who's known for has a National Theater Live on there. Was she in anything of note? Like, that? Like she obviously was in things before um, Vera Drake, but like, it's not like Peter's Friends is going to be on this. Oh, but you, you know are trying be? to ask for a year before you get a second wrong answer, and I say that you are trying to deceive me and cheat, and I will not answer your question. I'm just talking this through. Peter's Friends is not one of these four nominees. That's I, um, But is Shakespeare in Love one of them? Yes, you got Shakespeare in Love. Fine. <laughs> okay. She so plays what do I have? One left? Nurse. She plays you the have nurse. one left. You have one wrong guess. Okay. All right. Let's see. Melda Staunton is in things. What else is she in? I mean, Paddington. Is that your guess? No, because it's not a voice. Never mind. Sorry. 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 I take it back. I take it back. I take okay. It back. Um, I'm just going to say Downton Abbey from this year, and then you can give me a year. No, you are wrong. I knew <laughs> I would be wrong. Your year is... Stop taking pleasure in my failures. <laughs> you get very mad that I'm like, yes, I have defeated you. <laughs> I'm very competitive. Okay. It's something people don't know about me. I am incredibly okay. competitive. Um, uh, your answer is um, uh, uh, 2014. 
2014. The same year as Pride. Oh, it's fucking Pride. I'm going to be so mad, but I'm not going to do it. I will stay strong in my inferiority complex about that movie. Um, 2014. What was popular in 2014? Gone Girl. She's not in Gone Girl. Imagine if she was. Imagine if she was amazing, Amy. It'd be rad. No, imagine if she was like Casey Wilson, being like, what did you do with your wife, Nick? (laughs) You didn't know your wife was pregnant. Tell the truth, Nick. The way Kim Dickens says Nick in that movie is like the platonic ideal of somebody saying Nick. I don't know why I thought that, but I just did. Sure. Um, Oh, wait a second. They wouldn't put that on her IMDb known for. She's barely in that movie. Is it Maleficent? (laughs) No, but I'm glad that you got there. It is not Maleficent. You are going in the absolute wrong direction. Is it Pride? It's Pride. Fuck! Are you kidding me? See, you give me shit because you're saying, like, you're being mean, you're being mean. I did this partly to be nice to you. You didn't think that would torture my soul, me not getting Pride. I thought you would be happy that it was on her known for. I mean, I am, but also I'm surprised. Fine. Good. It should be. It should be. She's wonderful in it. So there. So wait, so the four of them are... Vera Drake, Order of the Phoenix, Pride, and Shakespeare in Love. Yes. What an interesting little set of movies. Especially okay. considering the range of roles. Like, Yeah. Alrighty, Chris. Right, I went down the Scarlett Johansson route, but I went to her movie from this year that she was so good in, which was Marriage Story. And I went to one of her co-stars, who we both love, who was Merritt Weaver. Oh, Chris, let's hear it. What are Merritt Weavers known for? Well, no television. No television. (laughs) Um, It's so insane that none of them are television. That's uh, okay. That's fine. I mean, I guess some of her television is like under the radar, and Nurse Jackie is like been off air for a while, and it was never really as popular as you would think it might be. Um, She's won like multiple Emmys. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, I need to go. Um, Merritt Weaver, is Marriage Story one of them? Yes. Is Welcome to Marwin one of them? No, thank God. Okay. Um, this is going to be very difficult. It is. These are going to all be bit roles. Um. Yeah. But she's a bit role in, uh, Birdman, so that's got to be there. It's Best Picture winner. Yes, it is. Birdman. Well done. Who was she in Birdman? Remind me. Is she somebody's assistant? Uh, basically, she's on, like, the stage crew. I think she might be the stage manager. I think she's... I think you're right. I think she's the stage um, manager. You're yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. See, I was nice to you. These are all very well-known movies. It's not the only Noah Baumbach movie she's in, is it... I know she's in other ones. What makes most sense that she's in? Um, nope, she's in. What's the one that we never talk about, even though Greta's in it? Um, <sighs> Greenberg. She's in Greenberg, but that's not one of the four. So that's one strike. 
No, that's two, because I guess Marwin. You're right, two strikes. All right, so your missing years are 2002 and 2007. I will cool. say... Cool, so before we knew about Merritt Weaver... One of these I remember her in, one of these I don't. Okay. There's a second half to that clue that I'll wait for you to get a couple more wrong before I'm going to give it to you. I mean, I can't even think of anything that far back with Merritt Weaver. So she would have been young. Yeah, Is but she still a very child recognizably in them. No, she's not. In 2002, she even she's she's like a younger adult, maybe like an. I don't even think she's an old teen. I think she's like probably college student aged. Hmm. Is it a college movie? The no. O2 movie? No. She's a townie. Townie, so it's like a rural movie. Yeah. Is it some like random indie from O2? Nope. Very, very, very big uh, money getter that year. Very big. Not money very, very, from... very. Like, but it's a it. It was a very successful movie. Okay, from O2 with townies. Is it like a Michael Bay movie? No. Nope. Wrong direction. <sighs> Summer movie. I believe it was released in the summertime, yes. Yes, okay. it was. Okay. Trying to think of what the O2 summer was. I really like this movie a lot. Even though I fully people hate... People don't? I think there are people who don't like this movie. I think, by and large, people like this movie. I fully hate both of the male leads in this movie. Oh. Okay. O2... Minority p- Report, which, like, that's only one lead. And you don't right. hate him, I don't think. I don't hate him. I, there are ways in which I'm very weary of Tom Cruise. Absolutely. But... Um, minority Report. I will say, she's probably the third or fourth build woman, even though she's in, like, one or two scenes as a townie. I'm going to guess that there's not a lot of women in this movie anyway. Right. The top build woman is a summer. child. Wait, no. Is it Signs? It's Signs. She's delightful in Signs. Jesus, I don't remember who she is in Signs. She's like, I think she's at like a store that Joaquin Phoenix <laughs> goes into, and she like remembers him from being like a local baseball player. Sure. Her name is Tracy Abernathy. Of course which, it is. Of course it is. What's my other year? Your other year is 2007. Okay, 07. Again probably don't remember that she's in this movie i didn't i had forgotten but also i owe this movie uh a rewatch not to not to reevaluate it but to experience it again because i really loved it okay so it's a good movie i'm gonna guess if you owe it a rewatch i probably do too considering i can't remember she's in it her character i will read from wikipedia I won't give you... Well, the name won't help you anyway. Is Anna, one of the plaintiffs in... Oh, so this is like uh, an investigative good movie. 07. Is it... mm, Is it Michael Clayton? It's Michael Clayton. Okay. Yeah. All right. That was hard. I give you credit. Yeah, yeah. I guess I deserved that, but... Let us all... Go back to our homes and watch Michael Clayton and Signs this weekend, because it is great. They are great. Nice little double feature. Nice little double feature. Absolutely. All right. 
I guess that's our episode. If you want more This Hot Oscar Buzz, <laughs> you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. Please also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, where can the listeners find you and your stuff complaining about how more people need to watch Pride? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. As this episode is released, I will be just about to kick off the the shackles of this wintry berg and go to California for a while and, and rest. Yes, relax. this is our last episode before the Oscar ceremony. That's right. Enjoy the Oscars this weekend, you guys. Try and have some fun with it and not just, you know, loudly complain. Um, I am on Letterboxd at Joe Reed, Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am still writing for a few more days for Vulture's Gold Rush blog about the Oscars and award season, and hopefully you've enjoyed that throughout these last few weeks, and also uh, Primetimer.com. I am the managing editor talking about TV. That's it. Yeah. And I am on Twitter at Crispy File, also on Letterboxd under the same name. That's F-E-I-L. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so please throw random poetry quotes at us like it's been said and done, every beautiful song's already sung, you love us like a love song, Bobby. Uh, that's all for this week. <laughs> but we no, hope you'll be back the outro, you next week son of a bitch. for more buzz. I love you like a love song, Bobby. I hate you so much.